0: We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for nearly the last nine years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, we got an absolutely jam-packed show again this week. The Trillers trilled, seemingly in some manner of alternate universe on Saturday night, as Zane Paul defeated Ben Askren via first-round knockout in the main event of... Whatever they had going on over there. Uh the UFC did its usual thing with Bobby Knuckles potentially reestablishing himself as the number one contender for Israel out of Sanya with unanimous decision over Kelvin Gastelum and what was a pretty good fight. Bellator happened. We've got UFC two hundred sixty one coming up this weekend, including a live fight watch party going down that night for patrons of the Co Main Event Podcast. Uh it's gonna be a thriller style show this week, man. Just like a, a a variety program we got going here. We got a lot of listener mail, so we're going to uh, we're gonna do a mostly all questions considered episode this week. We're gonna try to answer as much of that listener mail as we can, and then in the last part of the show, maybe we'll go off on our own a bit and do some UFC 261 prep. But to start off, just so. Uh, so we don't bury the lead here. Tell the people about your Saturday night, man. Things uh, things did not go as planned for you, I understand. Yeah. Things took
1: an unusual turn, you might even say. Uh, Saturday night, I was up at a friend's house watching some Triller. Because people hear about the Triller thing and they actually want to see it. And so mm-hmm. happens I got a code so I can get it through Fight TV and everything. All right, so I go up there watching Triller. I get a call from the Missoula Police Department Mid event. That's never
0: good. That's never good. No.
1: And they tell me that someone has broken into my home, and f- then fled my home, and then they were apprehended shortly thereafter. And no one was home at the time. You know, my kids were at their mom's house, and then no one was home. I left the I left the sliding glass uh, back door unlocked, which cru- proved to be my my crucial error in all of this. And what had happened, I learned later was that a woman who is wanted for several different felony warrants and who has been on the run, according to the cop I talked to later, for roughly a year, oh, was wow. spotted in a park near my, my house. She ran from the cops into my neighborhood and was just trying to get away. Ran and was trying back doors, found my back door unlocked, went in, and in trying, she tried to change her clothes so that they wouldn't spot her when she came back out. Here's where it gets weird for me. The clothes that she chose to put on.
0: I I don't want to interrupt you, but it's already weird. Okay. (laughs) It's already weird. This is where it gets weirder. The clothes that she chose to put on, Chad. Are you ready for this? God, please tell me it was like a pride hat and a Fedor sweatshirt.
1: She was right down in the area of the box that we have of still like unused and mostly inscrutable at this point in the T shirts. Yeah instead she chose it seems a hockey jersey turned it inside out and backwards put it on and then thought maybe she'd just stroll out into the world like well now i look like a totally normal person (laughs) they'll never think to stop me now i look like just you know average citizen didn't work out they did in fact they to stop her and we're looking for her uh, and then they were by, They were like, by the way, could you do us a favor and look around your house and see if she left any dope? And I was like, well, okay, this is not, I'm still, Triller's still going on, man. You know? Yeah. I missed the slap fight because of this. God,
0: that's, see, that's, you, why are you so persecuted, man? Events <laughs> conspiring against you.
1: Get, get it turned on just in time to see Frank Mir doing his thing and uh, Oscar De La Hoya, sadly, doing his thing. But yeah, um, eventful evening.
0: It sounds like it. Now, I guess the moral of the story here is lock your back door, even in sleepy uh, mountain towns such as ours. Was was there any damage? Did anything else occur into your home? She just went in there.
1: Left behind her sweatshirt, pair of flip flops, sunglasses. Um, I got to go over to the police station, get my hockey jersey back. I'm going to need that. Uh, the, the weird part was talking to the cop afterwards who came by to like basically be like, here's what happened. Let me fill you in. Since he was the only one who had like all the details. Everybody else I talked to was hearing it secondhand. And I was like, yeah, well, I guess I just, I did not, I underestimated the importance of locking my back door in this neighborhood. And he was like, oh yeah, there's, there's drug houses all over this neighborhood. And then he paused and thought for a second. He said, actually, and I thought here he was going to walk back this claim. He's like, "This drug house is all over town." And with that, he got back in his car and left.
0: Okay, So well, that just... makes me feel safe. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's a wild Saturday night, man. Yeah. That's uh, that's more than we all bargained for. And that's before Ebenezer Paul went and knocked out Ben Aspin. I still yeah. had that to look forward to. You know, well, you also got something else to look forward to, and that is the party when you find that dope. <laughs> I mean,
1: how do you know I haven't found it already, Chad?
0: When you move the bathroom mirror and a sock full of dope falls out, a sock? you're going to have a party. A to have a party going okay. on,. There. See, you've never lived that street life. <laughs> Clearly you have. Got them WNDs. Ds. Right. We're going to get into this listener mail. Uh, Before we do, though, I just want to remind you guys that we are, as I said at the top of the show, having a UFC 261 Zoom fight party over at the Patreon this weekend. Of course, that is available to all levels of patrons of the co-main event podcast. We have done these before, Mm -hmm. but not for a while. So we're getting back on the fight party horse, I guess you could say, for UFC 261. And uh, people seem to like these, Ben. People have fun with these fight parties. Basically, it's a... It's a giant ass zoom meeting where we all watch the uh we watch the fights you and i uh are our affable and charismatic selves as always and then uh usually we hear from some of the patrons of the co main event podcast and to be honest with you that they 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 are the stars of this show because yeah. we have had some surprisingly elucidating and uh intelligent conversations with a sommelier for example coming in to to tell us about uh jorge Mosvidal's uh what is he sponsor some manner of uh tequila
1: yeah but it's not exactly tequila and the sommelier explained exactly the differences now i can't remember
0: see there you go anyway that's why, it's a good time uh, that's why you should tune in mezcal from, right is that what he is yeah, yeah hear hear from smarter people than us about uh about various topics anyway we got a lot of uh Mail to get into. If you want to join us for the fight party, you can check us out over at patreon.com/slash co-main event. As always, we're gonna start here though, Ben. It will probably not surprise you, but it may depress you to learn that most of the mail we got this week was about the trillers.
1: Well, okay.
0: Okay. So we're gonna work our way through some of that here. This first one comes from Mr. JM, longtime listener of the show. Subject line. Ben Askren versus Kazushi Paul. Okay, nice. His question is, what the hell was that? <laughs> I
1: mean, what the hell were we expecting? Is what well, I know. mean,
0: let's talk a little bit about the actual fight here. We got a lot of of trailer questions that we got to get through here. So uh, we'll have opportunities to discuss the broadcast and whatnot coming up in, in future questions. But you and I had actually talked a little bit about the fight itself last week on the Power Hour, on the proper last week. And what we theorized was, A, we were kind of wondering if Ben Askren's high-level combat sports competition would come in handy if he would be a different animal so to speak than uh the other people that Braxton Paul had fought leading up to this fight we also thought if Ben Askren is going to win this he needs to make it kind of an ugly affair he needs to get all up in Zebediah Paul's grill clinch with them make it a little bit of a dirty fight maybe even take the guy down a couple times trip him push him grind on him all that kind of stuff now the fight only went two minutes So you can't get into a huge amount of that kind of game planning if you are Ben Askren during this fight. But I was surprised now that I've gone back and watched the whole thing uh, to see how I guess I wasn't surprised to see how awkward he looked on his feet, but I thought he might look a little better. Uh, I was I guess I was surprised uh, by the just the the straightforward uh, punching power of Atlas Paul. Uh, and I'm, I mean, I guess like a lot of other people, I was surprised that that Ben Ashrin gets starched in two minutes, uh, didn't do much to close the distance, didn't do much to try to work that game plan that we had thought he would work. Now, as I said, can't get into it too much in two minutes, but what did you just think of the action here? I was kind of surprised overall with how this thing went down.
1: Yeah. I mean, he basically said that that was going to be his game plan, right? was to get in there close and make it messy at least early on. And he didn't do any of that. He didn't really get a chance to do too much of that. I I agree that just when you saw both guys moving about the ring, you started to get a sense that Ben Askren was in some kind of trouble. Because as much as we like to make fun of Jake Paul, the guy can box a little bit. And you see yeah. him move around. You see that he, he is an athlete. And when he's throwing punches, especially in contrast with some of the people we'd seen earlier in the night who definitely did not have a ton of boxing experience. You're like, you know, he's... He's got his feet under him. He's throwing fairly crisp punches and, you know, he's got some, some stank on some of those. And just the way he was moving and the way Ben Askren was, was sort of dancing to his tune, you could tell that this was not going to go very well for Ben Askren pretty early, unless he could get in there and really change the kind of fight that they were having. And he couldn't. And I mean, I was surprised how quick it was, how yeah. easily it seemed that, that, Jake Paul just—I mean—he landed that that nice right hand, just your your basic one-two, and turned, spun him around, and face planted him pretty much like that. That was a, a, just a good punch combination. I did think at the time it was a little bit of a quick stoppage, but after watching the replays, okay, you know he went down pretty hard, and then he definitely wasn't on the most stable legs once he got back up. But. Yeah. It, he- and this is one of many th- weird things that we could discuss at length about the broadcast itself. There's something a little weird about it when this is clearly like the Jake Paul show, right? He's the guy that they're really counting on to do this stuff. Ben Askren is kind of the B-side brought in so that there's somebody for him to fight. And he wins by this this sort of quick referee stoppage. And you got Snoop Dogg at ringside yelling, give me my motherfucking money. Because yeah. he's got $2 million riding on Jake Paul winning.
0: And- that does not lend... Uh, a whiff of of credibility to the broadcast right. doesn't doesn't lend a sheen of propriety, let's say, right? Uh, because you know people are already going to be talking about if this is a fix, if this was a setup, just because that's what they do after every fight that ever happens, ever at all times. And so, yeah, when you've got S- Snoop Dogg up there crowing about how he just won a bunch of money, that is the kind of thing where it co- might cause you to look askance at your television. <laughs> after yeah. what you've just seen. Now, the, the the problem with the stoppage, I think, was that it looked so different from the two different angles that I saw it from. Like, on the actual Triller broadcast, it did look like Enzo Paul didn't hit Ben Askren that hard, and he went down, and then the stoppage, you know, they were cutting back and forth between the reaction of the corners. You couldn't really see the stoppage. But then you see, like, the ringside cam thing that was posted on Twitter by, I think, like, ESPN MMA or somebody like that. Uh, and you see that Ben Askren gets clocked right on his temple goes down hard. And then when he gets up, he's stumbling around and the referee does the thing where he's like, asks him to walk toward him. And Ben Askren, uh, fails the field sobriety test. Let's just say like walks off in a, in like a, a somewhat different direction. takes like a 45 degree angle when he is supposed to walk a straight line. So I actually thought that the stoppage was okay. Considering all of those things. I may, maybe for people who don't watch a lot of boxing, it it didn't it looked like a strange stoppage because it didn't look like what you would get in an MMA fight. Uh but i think in boxing matches especially where you have con- competitors that don't have a ton of experience when you got two guys that only have a few fights i don't necessarily even think that kind of stoppage is all that unusual. Uh but you're right like when Snoop Dogg is up there yelling about how much money he just made and uh and the the original broadcast angle made it look like the contact was somewhat incidental. I think that kind of stuff is the sort of breeding ground for talk of a fix or, or a setup or whether or not Ben Askren took a dive. And fact is like, we won't, we won't ever know, but like well, it was, it would be unusual. I think for them to, to try to pull something like that off, especially when I, I guess my eye tells me they probably didn't need to.
1: Yeah. Well, and the other thing I say this all the time, whenever this conversation comes up, people think it is way easier than it is to, pull off a fixed fight that doesn't look super fixed. Yeah. The, you know, If you're going to fix a fight, you're not like, just put that right hand just right upside my skull as hard as you can. And then I'm going to go down in a heat. Like you usually can tell. And it's it, that's not the way you would choose to fix it. Like you said, I don't know why you'd feel like you needed to, to fix this one necessarily. Uh, I also wonder how much of that comes from whenever you, whenever you have an event like this, You know, we're going to be flooded with filthy casuals. Yeah. A lot of people probably watch this one who do not watch a lot of combat sports and maybe are out there laboring under the impression that all this shit is fixed anyway.
0: Next question this week comes to us from Nick Jones over on Patreon. He writes... Uh, Was Arlo Paul winning the fight the worst case scenario? What I mean is now he's going to think he's a real fighter, so he might bite off more than he can chew next time. And Ben Askren just showed every MMA fighter that with little to no work or training, you can make way more money than the UFC will pay you unless you are the right guy. Trademark. Thoughts. Uh, So what do you think about this, Ben? Like, obviously, there's been a lot of talk uh, about who Hudson Paul should fight next. Um, Beats Ben Askren he's still talking about a potential fight with conor mcgregor i like just how we're going to pretend like weight classes don't exist Mm -hmm. right like conor mcgregor starts off at 145 pounds goes up to lightweight makes the occasional welterweight jaunt where i believe he is undersized uh i don't know if anybody cut any weight for astrin versus paul but leo paul is out there weighing in like 190 pounds now he wants to fight conor mcgregor who obviously is a is a a far more seasoned pros uh, in striking is than anybody he's fought, but it's going to like give up a lot of size and potentially a lot of strength. I don't even know what uh, the proper next way forward for Mateo Paul I- is here, or if we even need to discuss it or, or if there is a, a roadmap or, or anything. Well,
1: that guy does seem fairly savvy in terms of, self-promotion and how to craft this road for himself, doesn't he? Yeah. Like choosing Ben yeah. Askren was kind of a, a evil genius move. Because yeah. that's somebody who is gonna talk up the fight for you. He's gonna help you out with that side of the promotional thing. You can at least look at the combat sports resume he brings and be like, look at this guy, how great he is. Uh he's you know a former Olympian and champion in two different organizations and fought in the UFC. And people who don't know any better will hear that and be like, okay, well, this guy's legit. Like if he beats this guy, it must really mean something. And they don't, they probably are not going to look into it to be like all of those accomplishments were basically in other sports. And he had as little to do with this sport as he, he could possibly manage. And also he's 36 with an artificial hip. So that when he does get in there, you know, he goes, puts himself through a boxing training camp Gets ready and everything, but he still is going to have some limitations, so your chances of beating him are pretty good. And so, as target selection goes, I, I can't say that Lenny Paul doesn't seem to know what he's doing here, because he does. And if the concern is that he's going to go get himself in a real fight against a real boxer next, I mean, good? Like... <laughs> I think that's going to be the tricky part. Is you, the way he's doing this, you gotta feel like you're increasing the stakes every time. You 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 can't just go back and be like, now I'm gonna box another YouTuber again because people be like, what what is that shit? Like you're clearly you've proven that you can beat some people who actually maybe know something about this kind of stuff. So then you got to choose somebody else where it feels like you're you're pushing yourself beyond that. I mean, we talked before about. Do you believe that there is a poss- like a, any possible world where Jake Paul and Conor McGregor fight, and it it feels shockingly possible that something like that happens at some point down the road? I mean, Jake yeah. Paul versus Dylan Danis feels shockingly possible. You know,
0: no, I I agree, and and I guess to answer the, the specific question, I am actually not concerned that Maverick Paul will get himself into a real fight because I think he's got people around him. Who will make sure he either gets a beatable opponent or a big money matchup. And I don't think he's gonna take anything else. As you mentioned, pretty savvy so far in, in navigating those waters. So uh if he is, is is a guy who gets to pick and choose where when and where and against who he fights, I think that they will probably have a, a pretty uh you know, a pretty decent plan in place and a pretty smooth path to to whatever it is he wants to do. Uh the next question this week comes to us from Devin Scott with the subject line, is Ben an Oracle? He writes, I got the chance to listen to the CME Power Hour on Sunday, which was great. Having only watched the Twitter replies and hearing how many people hated the excess crappy musical acts and the highlight of Vernon Paul's KO of Ben Askren, I felt I, too, overpaid. So, Ben, folks, A, are you happy with your allocation of Saturday night's time? B, are you an oracle with your prediction? And C, you floated the question, uh, who should beat Marcus... Who should beat Marcus Paul? Should he win? So please tell me, because uh, there's only one correct name, and it's Nick Diaz. Um, I guess let's let's talk a little bit about the broadcast here, man. Like, uh, I guess question one: Are you happy with the allocation of your time on Saturday night when you're not out here uh, following up break-in calls for for your residents? I'm not unhappy. I was entertained, man. The
1: there's something about that kind of broadcast where they make you feel like this is a shit show that could go off the rails at any time and just become completely ridiculous. And they do that pretty well with like their chosen commentators. And you like within eight minutes, Chad, of this pay-per-view starting, Pete Davidson had invited several different people to have sex with his mother. And then basically when starting to talk about the two headlining fighters had said they both suck, but at least somebody's gonna get hurt. And that's like just starting off. And then we went into like fifteen minutes of the Black Keys. Yeah. <laughs> and it you can tell, like by especially when they go to do the musical act stuff, you can tell these people are not just ignorant idiots about live event production. like they there's a lot of moving parts here to some of that stuff. and they managed to get all that stuff down pretty well. Like they can do this. This is a cultivated thing where they let's take a bunch of these celebrities. Let's put them on commentary duties. Some of them are going to be high. And they, and then let's just let them give us this sort of manic air to the whole thing that feels like it could just completely collapse at any point. And that will be part of the appeal. And it almost kind of is. like, Because Pete Davidson, they have these segments where he goes first into Jake Paul's locker room. He says something to him that it feels like, I don't know, if the audio cut out or they intentionally bleeped out. And I was like, we mentioned it in recent sex assault allegations against jake paul is that what just happened here uh but he's also like trying to kind of half-ass conduct an interview and he's like so what's who's who's the guy in the robot costume that you've been walking around with and jake paul's like it's a robot and it, we, couldn't, we can tell it's, it's probably not a robot, and, but he has to be like, okay, and then move on. And then like he's going to sit there with Jake Paul and shit talk Ben Askren for a little while. Then he's going to gonna go in Ben Askren's locker room and Ben Askren is going to be like, I heard you shit talking me. And then he's going to flip around and be like, no, Jake Paul's a terrible human being. Like there's a point on that broadcast. He's doing this interview with Ben Askren in the locker room and Ben Askren in like a moment that seems very genuine. It's like, I feel really bad for like the parents of my wrestler kids, who are who probably are watching this right now because this is not appropriate for children to be watching and I feel really bad for them and I don't know what to tell anybody like you shouldn't be watching this and it feel, you, those are the kind of moments it seems like that they're going for and they're getting them and again like the the only part where I was successfully at Oracle was in predicting that by the end of it you feel a little bit unclean like yeah. you feel a little bit like you got played but also like somebody, Somebody looked into your heart and said, I know what you'd enjoy. Here it is. And you went, oh, God, I do kind of enjoy it. And I don't like that about myself necessarily. And so this event definitely had some of that. At the same time, look, man, Ice Cube, Too Short, E-40, and Snoop Dogg are all rapping. And I'm going, okay, I'm I'm not displeased about the chance to hang out on the couch of a Saturday night and watch this shit because it's kind of awesome.
0: And so, well, that, yeah. I, that does, that leads us into our next question here from former Beatle Paul McCartney, who writes, okay. Jake Paul versus Ben Askren on Triller. I feel sad, not just about the fight, but the commentary, the music performances, the Rick Flair of it all. Do you feel sad too? Um, I feel sad about two things. And I will tell you what those two things are. Number one, uh, we've got some different viewership or buy rate numbers now for this Triller event that have come out. Uh, I've seen as high as 1.45 million, although those numbers are somewhat in dispute. I saw Kevin Ioli came out and said, "It's believed that the event sold over a million, maybe not quite the 1.45 that they thought they that they first reported, but like that the thing sold pretty well." Uh, and I don't dispute that. Like I'm, I imagine this thing actually did sell pretty well, and that is the thing that makes me sad. <laughs> that as a uh, combat sports fan like an actual combat sports fan that wants to watch good fighters have good fights. I feel like I routinely have this like sobering and kind of depressing moment that's been going on for years where I realize all over again and again and again, that the thing that most people want to watch is trash. That like most people are disinterested in seeing the two best fighters in the world potentially have a great fight. Like that's not the thing that sells pay-per-views. That's not the thing. People want to watch. People want to watch Ben Askren and Slick Willie Paul in a boxing match. That's the thing that gets the big numbers, and that 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 makes me sad. I guess that's um, that's the thing that that makes me uh, more sad than anything else. I suppose is this realization that like the thing that we have spent almost nine years doing a podcast on, much of our professional lives, reporting about, is. Maybe not regarded as a joke, but like regarded as a thing where people want to tune in to see the shit show. They don't necessarily want to tune in to see like the people who are actually good at it.
1: Okay. Two things about that. One, I don't disagree with you, but I am going to point out that if you look at the way the UFC product has morphed into the thing it is now over the years, and you contrast it with stuff that's being offered here by like Triller – one of those people is trying really hard to entertain me. Almost too hard. Like, yeah. try, they're, <laughs> I get the sense that they, if, if the laws didn't stop them, they would perform a human sacrifice to entertain me. Right. And there's something to be said for the people who are going, look, you paid this money. You deserve to be entertained. That's what you're really here for. You're not really here for boxing. You're not really here for this sport. You are here to be entertained. And the boxing will hopefully be part of that. But that's the part we can't guarantee. We're going to give you a lot of other stuff that's going to try to entertain you one way or another. Whether it's just like celebrities devolving into a shit show. If it's slap fighting. If it's musical. like We're going to just throw so much shit out there and hope that some of it feels like a good enough time to you. And there's something to be said for that. Like, the UFC has really moved away from that sort of like live event production value stuff. And some of it, I'm sure, is the pandemic and doing these things in, in empty arenas for the last year. But a lot of the UFC has turned into this very well-oiled machine where we know exactly what we do. And we walk out at this time and it looks exactly like this. And everybody's in the same shorts. And boom, boom, boom. And then we get you out and it's on to the next one. And we're just churning out the content. And there's not yeah. a lot of energy being put in most of the time to giving you a big loud show that really is going to feel like entertainment it is just giving you like like you said kind of like the core of the sport right point number two i recently read a thing where somebody was talking about uh the the appeal of only fans i think here's another episode where we're going to get into the the similarities you can draw between pornography and professional fighting because the point they were making was basically why should only fans ever work if you there's free porn on the internet all the time tons of it more than you could ever watch you will not live long enough to watch all the free porn that is on the internet and i not know that <laughs> and basically a lot of these people who end up in the the free porn made by like a big porn studio they're professional naked people they were so good at it, they went pro at it, and that's how you're seeing them there. And then a lot of these other people on OnlyFans are they're amateurs at it. Like, why should they be able to exact a subscription fee when these other people are doing a, like basically a better version of the same thing for free? And the answer was basically that it's not about seeing people naked; it's about people seeing people you care about for one reason or another naked. And that's what the Jake Paul thing is. It's like he got a bunch of people to care about who he was before they cared about him fighting at all, which is the other way around from how we usually are used to it in combat sports. Usually the way we hear about you is because of your fighting and the way we come to care about you is because of your fighting, but there's only so many of those people out there who, who like fighting enough like that and are into it consistently enough. Probably a more reliable thing is to basically be an influencer who then fights because the influence part is the part you've already built up. You've already got people interested enough to see you do something. And if you say, I'm going to go do this sort of the sporting version of a high wire act where there's a great potential for pain and humiliation and anguish. And I'm really putting myself out on the line there and making myself vulnerable. And you get to see it Saturday night for this pay-per-view price. That is in many ways a really effective sales pitch.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I do think you're right that the UFC has unwittingly opened a back door to this kind of thing with the assembly line feel, the assembly line nature of the UFC broadcast now that we like, it's the same thing every single week. And so like when something like the Trillers comes along and it's different and for better or worse, it is providing you with some manner of entertainment like people are interested in that people are interested in seeing the spectacle because of how different it is than the thing that they are are offered by the largest purveyor of mixed martial arts in the world week in and week out I think that it's like from an attention and like entertainment standpoint I think that that kind of speaks for itself the second thing that makes me sad though is that those of us who are here in the MMA bubble seem to follow the same script for every one of these things every single farcical matchup whether it be you know kimbo slice and dada 5000 or uh uh big big johnny paul against ben Askren, like we do this thing where at first we're like we hear of a farce and we think well this is going to be a farce we decry the farce we say w- i will not waste my time with this farce this is a farce then we end up watching it we end up paying money to watch it and then when it's over and while it's while it's happening by the way we talk about how, what a farce it is. And then when it's over, we get super interested in debating the minutiae of the stoppage. <laughs> or like, you know, all of a sudden we're just like, well, that was a bad referee stoppage. That should have been, they should have allowed him to continue. It's like, man, it was a farce. Like we said it was a farce all along. And then when it's over now, suddenly we want, it, we want to treat it like... Uh, like a game-winning touchdown in the Super Bowl, like we got to go back and review the slow-motion replay to find out if both guys' feet were inbounds when he had control of the ball and all this stuff. And it's like, doesn't matter. I'm not going to spend any time in my life trying to figure out if that was a good stoppage or a bad stoppage or how hard Ben Askren got hit or what. And like, I will gladly indict myself as falling for this same routine every single time, but it's just like, it also makes me sad that I woke up like on Sunday morning after the trillers had trilled and I turned, I opened on my my phone and I was like, Oh shit. Of course there's a huge controversy about the stoppage (laughs) in the Ben Askren, uh, Liam Paul fight. And we're all going to debate whether or not it was fixed and all this other bullshit. And it was just like, man, I would really love it if we could not do that. Yeah. Next question this week comes to us. Uh, from Slick Williams. I actually do like this one. Think about the Askren Paul fight from the perspective of Michael Buffer. <laughs> it has to be the same feeling an internationally successful band gets when they are playing at a county fair later in life. Is it's projecting, but it seems he had a look on his face that he was like, What is this? Who are these people? Which Well, he hey, definitely really seemed to not know who
1: at least one of those people was because he fucked up the intro for Ben Askren. Called him Ben yeah. Askew. And which gave it just, there was just enough of delay before it seemed like Ben Askin realized it and his head kind of like whipped around to look to this and then the camera cut away. So it was like the last image we were left with of him before the fight started was him realizing, hey, wait a minute. They don't even know my name here. <laughs> what is
0: that? All right. Next question this week comes to us from Owen Archdeacon, who writes, next, I propose that Jake Paul fight an old faded name boxer. In an MMA fight, thoughts. Now, Ben, we we have to concede that there's a reason that Xavier Paul gets to gets to call the shots here, gets to make the fights, gets to pick the opponents, and clearly there is a reason why all these fights are going down in a in a boxing ring, and that we will never see Miles Paul fight anyone in an MMA fight.
1: Well, good to hear from. Scottish soccer player, Owen Archdeacon. I wondered about this. I mean, obviously, the structural difference between the two sports and how that affects the kind of money you can make in them seems like it explains a lot of why we always see it in this direction. The MMA fighters are lining up trying to call out Jake Paul, but you don't see a whole lot of boxers being like, I think I'd like to sign one of those restrictive contracts with the UFC. Go over there and, and make my, you know, $3,000 Three thousand dollars in fight kit money or whatever it is, and 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 fight they're like no, they're they're not going to do that, and that's it always goes the one direction. I also though wondered, is it easier to stomach people boxing kind of poorly than it would be and doing MMA kind of poorly? Would it just seem shittier because there are so many different technical aspects of MMA that you would have to learn? Where if you did tell somebody like okay. You want to become a combat sports athlete. Choose one that is in a very specific discipline that you can focus on rather than trying to learn all these different things in the span of a few years.
0: Yeah, and you would have to do it for less money. Well, yes. Right? So that's probably the real uh, deciding factor here. But but yeah, like uh, I, even, even Paul isn't going to do a thing that he's not good at. Like, he's not going to take the opportunity or the chance to to lose. There's a reason that we had a wrestler fight a YouTube guy in a boxing match. It's, and it's because Paul wanted to win. Man, he doesn't want to come out here and fight somebody who's actually good at the thing that he's doing. Like, he doesn't want to fight someone who'd actually beat him in a in an MMA fight and make less money doing it. That's, that's why we're having all these things in a weird celebrity boxing match.
1: Did you see uh, he and Mike Perry going back and forth about their sparring <sighs> sessions?
0: Yeah, and I guess I would add if there's a third thing that makes me sad, it's that this kind of spectacle lays bare how desperate all the MMA guys are for money, right? Because you got Bobby Knuckles after his win saying that he would take a boxing match against Jojo Paul for like a lot less money than Ben Askren did it. You got Mike Perry out here uh, just saying that like he had basically admitting that he, he went in, uh, and sparred with Remington Paul and like did not do that well, or at least like had a tough time with him early on. And it's just like the whole thing just kind of makes you realize what a what a shell game all this is. And like how these dudes are so grossly underpaid that they will literally fight anyone in any venue for money.
1: Yeah. And be just and that also
0: <laughs> makes me sad. That's the third thing that makes me sad. I hope somebody uh, keeps on list
1: of things that made Chad sad today.
0: Um, let's see here. there We had one here. Where did it go about uh how, how about let's let's read this question from Josh Montgomery. okay, subject line bankruptcy. Yes uh, I had Martin explain to me three times what he got arrested for because it sounds an awful lot like what I do here every day. That's a quote from Kevin Malone in the office. Uh, And he writes, and also probably some unbeknownst unbeknownst Triller accountant who is in charge of fudging the numbers on these shows. I know a few people who watched this, but nobody that paid for it. And other than the poor production workers, I think everybody who was in the arena that night was making at least $100,000 to be there. So where the hell is all this money coming from? Please discourse.
1: Now, see, we talked a little bit on the Power Hour about how if... We've learned anything from startup fight promotions. It's that seeing them come out the gates and just start throwing money around everywhere is always a great sign. It mm-hmm. always, You're always
0: like, I I can tell we're on stable financial footing mm-hmm. here. Everything is going great. Clearly, this is part of a plan, a business plan, a sound and well-thought-out business plan that some marketing geniuses came up with. And we will all be here. These checks will keep coming for the rest of our lives.
1: Yeah. And see, there's some part of while I'm, when I'm watching this show, some point after the pyrotechnics and uh, before Justin Bieber shows up where I'm going – how can you possibly be making any money on this? We know you're paying Ben Askren at least half a million and that you know, Jake Paul's going to make upwards of 700 grand. And plus everybody else on the card, you know, Frank Meir's out there making 350 grand, I believe it was, to box. And then you got all these musical... I mean, the Black Keys didn't show up to this thing just because they thought it sounded fun. Like, all this stuff, it, it's... Even if you did do the kind of pay-per-view numbers that you're talking about, it seems like what where is it all coming from and what is the long term plan here and i i saw a lot of people wondering about that cuz I, I mean i i do believe they probably had a pretty good audience for it and i think yeah. like if you're going to be doing these kinds of shows there's it's probably a better plan to go hey we'll give you this crazy shit show every few months including people that people outside the combat sports world care about give ourselves a chance at a bigger audience. And then we don't even have to get as big a percentage of them. Like we'll just we're widening the the tent, basically, of who we we might be able to convince to pay for something like this. And that's not like a terrible idea, especially since the avenues of here's the market for serious combat sports fans are mostly kind of taken. You know, yeah. you're not going to like we've seen what happens when people pop up right away and say, I'm going to compete with the UFC and it like right out the gate and it doesn't go that well. So I guess I can see how there's at least the broad outline of maybe a good plan, but also fucking Justin Bieber's there, man. And like,
0: oh, I you, you can't be turning a profit on that. Can you? <laughs> I mean, if they're doing the big time pay-per-view numbers that they said they were doing, like maybe they are. But again, it all comes down to the notion that we don't know if we can trust the internal numbers coming out of Triller from everyone's various sources. Like if you're actually doing 1.45 million pay-per-view buys, then yeah, you probably are turning a profit. If you're not, then, you know, you're probably doing a a short term MMA flash in the pan before Triller disappears and we all forget that it had ever existed kind of thing uh we got this question from rizza who basically says uh no question but just a bit of a concern does being an mma fan meaning for mean from now on i have to deal with random name paul in my fuckles, fucking social feed i can deal with perry covington even greg hardy but this dude is seriously the scum of the earth and right now i have no choice but to pay attention to it am i overreacting if i'm seriously considering pulling back on the amount of mma i consume i love this sport But right now, um, I don't know if I can keep doing this. I don't think it would be – we we would be doing ourselves a disservice if we didn't note that the week leading up to this fight, Theodore Paul, like on Wednesday, had to deny a sexual assault. And then on Thursday, said he had the early signs of CTE. And then on Friday, uh, walked those comments back. And then on Saturday, knocked Ben Askren out in a minute and 59 seconds and probably made a whole pile of money.
1: Right, but – doesn't it feel like that's the part we should be most used to as combat sports fans? It's not like Fair this enough. is the first guy with, a, with, with the, with who brought concerns like that for us uh, ever showed up in our sport. We're, we've been down this road before.
0: Yeah, that's true. You that's know, true.
1: Like uh, that, that should like, if, if I, I agree that that's something that uh I understand when people say that they struggle with, but you ought to also be struggling with it many times throughout the the regular combat sports and MMA calendar year. It, it's going to come up for you a lot. So, uh, I mean, a lot of the stuff about uh, Jake Paul, you know, other the, the the part where people think about like, okay, now this guy suddenly shows up everywhere, and now I got to care about him. He's not even in the sport. People in the sport are talking about him, and he's like he's some kind of sudden combat sports figure. Doesn't it kind of remind you of those early days of Kimbo Slice? Yeah. like that, It's exactly the same thing. That's one of the things same. where I was
0: like, I have to keep coming to the conclusion that like the people who aren't very good at this seem to make all the money. And like, it's, I can't think of a different professional sport where that is the case, right? Like obviously in like football or basketball, you can have a, a number one draft pick that gets paid a bunch of money and then doesn't pan out, doesn't really turn out to be that good. But it's, it's bizarre to me that just like because of the pay-per-view model and the different uh, economic factors inherent in combat sports, like being a top draw or a top star or a person who makes all the money has almost no connection to actually being good at the sport, Yeah, which is bizarre.
1: But I mean, that's what what we're really doing here in a sport that is so much about pay-per-view sales and just viewership. Uh, attention is the greatest currency that there is. Like that's the thing. Right. Like If you can command a lot of attention from a lot of people, that's what really matters and then if you can fight a little bit we'll find you people who can fight slightly less than that and that in this way you will be able to craft a career and that's kind of it i mean but that too should not be anything so new to us it's just that it's a really glaring example of it here
0: yeah uh is it gonna be a fourth thing that makes me sad if i ask you what happened to frank Muir this weekend like you could explain it to me as though i were a person who did not watch this pay-per-view just for fun uh
1: frank Muir, you know he he lost. He wasn't gonna win that fight though, and he he acquitted himself not terribly, but he, he got lumped up some, you know, like he 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 took some shots and everything, and just he came in there looking looking like hefty boy Frank Mir, a little, little bit chonky. Okay, uh the we're version. All
0: familiar with that Frank? Mir. Yeah,
1: we are familiar with it, but also kind of like had a good attitude about it afterwards. Um, so. No, of all the many things you should be sad about, maybe that one is like should be way down on the list.
0: Okay, good. I just like had a premonition that you were going to be like, "Oh, Frank Mir, they had to take him out on a stretcher." A dude did,
1: did get taken out of on a stretcher, and it was the weirdest fucking thing because at first he went down as if he had been hit with a low blow. Replays re- revealed that he had been hit basically like a glancing blow like kind of to the kidney or something, and but also, everybody in the ring was treating it as if it was a low blow, and then they brought out the actual stretcher for him, even as they're cutting from shots of him being loaded on the stretcher to the replay of a totally legal blow that it kind of didn't even really land.
0: Hmm. So there I you go. I hope everyone had fun. <laughs> Uh, Let's shift gears here to the UFC a little bit. We had, obviously, Robert Whitaker beat Kelvin Gastelum in the main event of this UFC on ESPN show. We'll take this question from Sean Schatzel, who writes, Will we finally see Bobby Knuckles get his title rematch in the next fight, or is this world truly just a cruel place devoid of fairness? And if the rematch happens, what are old Bob's chances against Adesanya? He seems to be even better than he was when he had the belt, if that's even possible for someone who spends 50 minutes who spent 50 minutes in a cage with Yoel Romero. Are his improvements enough to re- regain the gold? Uh, please discourse. Uh, Bobby Knuckles and Kelvin Gaslam had a heck of a fight, man, for a five-round main event. This thing was was pretty action-packed. Robert Whitaker obviously got the better of Kelvin Gaslam throughout. Uh, but Gaslam, you know, did the thing that he so often does in these big fights where he, like, kind of refused to go away. Could just, like had his had his moments, afforded himself nicely. Obviously, I think the decision was fairly clear-cut, but uh, in the wake of it, Ben, it seems like if we had to guess, Robert Whittaker probably reestablishes himself as the number one contender for Israel Adesanya, and that would be a fight I would definitely 100% absolutely watch again. I'm glad that we are not doing the immediate rematch thing here, that we have at least given both guys some time to go their separate ways, and then if if They get back together again for a second fight over the 185-pound title. At least it will feel interesting. It will feel like there's been some water under the bridge, and now we encounter both these athletes under somewhat different circumstances. Yeah. All that said... I don't know that I would bet on Robert Whittaker in the Israel Adesanya fight, but at least in this Gaslam fight, he showed some different things that he could do. Not only kind of mixing up his combinations, throwing those kicks, not so much rushing into the danger zone as he did in his first fight with Israel Adesanya, and also mixing in some takedowns, which would be interesting stuff if Robert Whittaker were able to do any of it in a second fight with with the champion.
1: Yeah, I think the way he put it afterwards for where he was like, there is no other fight. What else makes sense? And I agree with him there. That they Three in a row against these three guys. Like, what else do you do with them? Just wait around okay. for Paulo Costa to be healthy enough and ready enough to to go with him again? Like That doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. Uh, I think now is as good a time as any for the rematch. you got Israel Adesanya, who's cooled a little bit coming off of that loss to uh, Yanni Blackjacks up at light heavyweight. So go, let's go ahead and run this one back and see if he's still the top guy at middleweight. Robert Whitaker's been sitting at number one in the UFC rankings for a while. So like, what else do you want him to do? Uh, as far as like how the fight actually goes, I mean, it, it. we've said this before about Israel Adesanya, but especially at middleweight, it feels like we've seen a bunch of fights that have shown us what doesn't work against him, and very little that shows us what does work. I mean, Jan Blachowicz showed us some of that stuff, but also Jan Blachowicz has that size and power of a light heavyweight that a lot of other people don't have at middleweight, and that especially what's what Robert Woodaker really struggled with in that first fight was that you got to deal with the range of Israda Sanya and you don't want to just stand out there on the edge of it where he can reach you and you can't really reach him. But his answer for that in the first fight was, let me just sort of like leap straight in and attack him. But you have to start that attack from so far out. He's going to see it coming. And then when you leap into attack like that, after that initial attack that, that brought you into range, you're just sitting there and he's really good at countering people in those situations. And that's how he got Robert Whitaker. And so it's like, okay, you, You know you don't want to go back and do exactly that again, but what do you want to do? You you know the range is a big problem, but how do you solve it in a way that just doesn't get you torn to shreds on your way in and out?
0: Yeah. I got the impression Robert Whitaker had learned his lesson in terms of saying this is the only fight that makes sense now. Like maybe the last time he came out of a fight and kind of did his mild-mannered Australian uh, nice guy thing, and then the UFC responded by saying, well, it doesn't sound like Robert Whitaker really wants to fight, so we'll, you know... We'll do something else, and then maybe his fights down the road. At this point, Whitaker comes out of this fight and is makes no bones about explicitly saying, "Like, uh, I'm going to fight Israel out of next." So it seemed like he had he had learned from past mistakes, which is good.
1: Yeah, well, that's as close as he's going to get to Anderson Silva. You absolutely suck, kind of like right. Chelsea and call out territory.
0: Yeah, here's, here's one from Tracy Dickinson. She writes, Gerald Mirshard is one of my guys, so I was happy to see him get an impressive win and well-deserved bonus on Saturday night. I know it won't put his loss to Kamzat Shumayev out of people's minds, but hopefully it's a start. Plus, he's beaten Damian Maya's submission record at middleweight, sorry Ben, and is already offering Bilal Muhammad help with his fight against Maya. Thoughts on his fight and if this provides any help regarding his loss to Shumayev at all. So Gerald Mirshard on the undercard of this event uh, technical submission choked out Bartos Fabianski in two minutes uh, of the first round in their middleweight fight. I mean, I think Gerald Mirchard is a guy who's like, we kind of know what he is at this point. Um, and that's a tough guy who's going to win a lot of fights, and he's going to win a lot of fights that he shouldn't win. And if you're looking for any solve, if you are a Gerald Mirchard fan, uh, vis-a-vis his, his quick knockout loss to Kamzat Shumaev, I think you can always... Just look at the fact that he was pretty immediately coming in off a COVID-19 diagnosis in that fight. And regardless of whether or not he got incredibly sick or had to go to the hospital or anything like that, I think knowing what we know now about this disease and seeing other people like Kamzat Shemaev and and Paulo Costa and several other people struggle mm-hmm. in the recuperation period from COVID-19, pretty easy to think like maybe Jared Meershot wasn't quite as sharp or wasn't quite as on his game as he normally is, and came in and kind of got out-quicked by Chemayev, who went who went straight to his face with some hard punches and finished it quickly. Like, if you are a Gerald Meershard fan, and you're trying to pick up the pieces after that, that's what I would be telling myself, that maybe 100% healthy Gerald Meershard is able to put up a, a, a more competitive fight against Chemayev.
1: Yeah, but he's also, don't you think, not going to be the guy who wins them all? Like if that's, right.
0: And that's what I said. Like, we know who he is at this point.
1: Yeah. like And and, and that's fine. I'm also going to need Maya, Demon Maya, to go in and reel off about four or five more submissions uh, and just just to reestablish the throne there a little bit. But uh, Gerald Shard is just like, he's a lot of fun to watch. He's an affable, likable guy on social media and stuff. Glad to have him around whenever he's around. But... I don't know if I would dwell too much on, like, hey, you got a couple losses here. You lost to Ian Heinrich lost to Kamsach Mayer. Like, so what? The the way that you're going to make your way as Gerald Mearshart is going to be that, like, hey, I'm a name that people actually know if they follow this sport, and when they see him on a fight card, they go, oh, hey, this guy. And, like, maybe that's good enough.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, let's do... A little bit of Bellator talk here. Obviously Bellator 257 went down on Friday night. Uh Vadim Nemkov advanced in the light heavyweight Grand Prix with his defeat of Phil Davis in their rematch unanimous decision. And to the delight of all spoken word commentators around the sport, Corey Anderson defeated D Yags in their light heavyweight tournament fight, third round TKO after a pretty hard fought bout. Uh So the the, the Bellator Grand Prix appears to be progressing about how you would expect. And then down here in the curtain jerker, Paul Daly gets a win on what he had kind of intimated before the fight might be his last one. But after he got the win... He was talking about, you know, who's next and all this other mm-hmm. stuff. We got this question from Shia LaBusdown, who writes, Did you see that tussle Friday night between Daly and Homasi? What do you think about Paul Daly making his own weight class at 175, telling people to come get the belt that he does not have? And do you think that unlike the UFC's willingness to add weight classes, Bellator will entertain this? Personally, if I'm Bellator, I kind of love it. Yeah. And I would I would go out of my way maybe to 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 not necessarily seem like I was totally endorsing Paul Daly as like the 175-pound champ in a weight class that doesn't exist, but also not that I'm totally against it. You know, you could you could see Scotty Cox being like, well, Paul Daly seems to think he's the best at that weight, so, uh, you know, we'll do our best to try to find matchups there that make sense for him.
1: Yeah, if I'm Bellator, the question I'm asking is, what doesn't the UFC do that right. people might be interested in? And I'm just leaning into all those territories like, Tournaments is a good example. Some of those other weight classes, maybe that's a good example. I mean, that was a hell of a fight, too. That shit was just crazy. And that's. We we went back and we watched that Paul Daly, Nick Diaz fight. This is like the same thing, kind of in reverse in some ways. And if you could still do that and you're Paul Daly, I guess I don't blame him too much for saying, like, all right, I, I could. Maybe I could do a few more of these. It's amazing how long he has been doing it. And the. When we talked about it before about how I would remember Paul Daly if he retires, you'll, rec- you'll recall that I expressed a little skepticism that this, in fact, would be Paul Daly's last fight. Right. And so I feel a little vindicated by that. But yeah, and and if, if you are, are Bellator and you're trying to think about like, well, if Paul Daly wants to continue on and if he wants to continue on in Bellator and what can you do with him, I could think of a whole lot worse ideas than like, well, let's just make up a new weight class. Paul, you, you go, go try to get that imaginary belt off of Paul Daly at 175 pounds. Why not?
0: Yeah. All right. Let's do, uh, let's spend 10 minutes or so here talking about, uh, UFC 261, which goes down this Saturday night. We're going to be down there in Jacksonville, Florida at the Vistar Veterans Memorial Arena with a house full of fans for the first time in a long time. Of course, you got a triple bill of title fights, Kamaru Usman rematching with Jorge Masvidal for the welterweight title, Wiley Zhang going to defend the women's strawweight belt against Rose Nama Yunus. and then a fight that almost nobody is talking about so far leading up to this fight, the women's flyweight title defense, Valentina Shevchenko taking on Jessica Andrade. Of course, uh, maybe some of that disinterest just stems from the fact that Shevchenko has looked damn near unbeatable at that weight. Uh, let's talk first about just the fact that this is going to be the first event that we have seen in a long time with a house full of fans, and the UFC taking the show on the road to somewhere that is not Fight Island and that is not the Apex Arena in Las Vegas. How weird is this going to feel, man? How different is this going to feel to sit down on Saturday night and have a UFC event that I think for all intents and purposes is going to pretend like we are not still involved in a pandemic?
1: Or at most it'll pretend like this event itself is the celebration of the pandemic being over right like hey we did it now we can all get back into the vice star memorial coliseum granddaddy of them all um it i'm curious too like how it'll just feel as a viewer and i'm sure it'll feel different to different viewers but i recently had this experience where um like a a friend of a friend had this art opening thing like downtown and it was like you know Everybody's in masks and there's only like, the, it was a big gallery building kind of thing with the high ceilings and everything. And there was maybe 15 people there, but I had that thing where I walked in and then there's a room full of people who I don't really know. And again, not really full of people, but I had like kind of the visceral reaction going like, oh, okay. I, I'm just now realizing that I have got out of practice at this. And I am yeah. not really used to it anymore. And like my tolerance for social gatherings was never super high to begin with. And now it's going to take some time to build it back up again. And that some of the, maybe it'll be more of a process than I had thought it would be. Like, may, like cause there was part of me in my mind is going like, Hey, once I get all the way vaccinated, I got that second shot tomorrow. And, you know, two weeks after that, we're, you know, we're going to the foam party. You know, but now I'm starting to think maybe we're going to have to work our way up to the foam party. Baby steps. And it's the same thing where we've gotten so used to all these empty arenas and then, you know, maybe like scattered people around like in the cage side area. And they just suddenly turn on the TV and leap right back into like 15,000 people going woo at the top of their lungs. i got to think it's going to be jarring, like just yeah. as a shift, like just – I don't know about you, but I've noticed if I'm just like scrolling through the internet and I see like an old sports highlight and it jumps out to me, I know this has got to be an old sports highlight and not from like this weekend because I can see tons of people in the stands. And that's the kind of thing you'd never noticed before. And I feel like sitting through it for an entire like six hour UFC event is going to be a little bit of a shock at first.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be pretty jarring. Uh, obviously, it'll be a thing that I think we reacclimate ourselves to and, and get used to as we go along. Uh, for me, the weirdest part is going to be just the notion that, you know, COVID 19 cases are kind of spiking in Florida again in the wake of spring break. Uh, I'm not totally sure what the scene on the ground in Jacksonville is. Clearly, there's going to be no effort or notion that the people who attend this UFC event will all have been vaccinated. And you're going to have people crammed into this thing, elbow to elbow, pretty much, and like you said, spending hours at a time, expectorating, pretty much, like cheering and 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 screaming and and uh, doing all the other things that we have learned from experience are the exact things that cause this disease to spread. And then you're going to have a cage in the middle of it where two athletes are going to be down there fighting. Nobody's going to be wearing masks. I would I would gather. And everybody's going to be kind of screaming in their direction. I would hope at least if you were an MMA fighter, I would hope to to be vaccinated by the time I, I got to this event. But again, think just think of the population of people we're dealing with here. You're probably going to have some fighters that aren't vaccinated. You're probably going to have a lot of people in the stands that aren't vaccinated. Uh,
1: probably going to have some of both be, who will refuse to get vaccinated no, long, no, long, how, no matter how long this thing goes.
0: Right. And so like I think it would be really hard to trace any kind of post UFC 261 outbreak specifically back to this event and indeed maybe that is some of what the UFC is counting on here but it's going to be a difficult to watch I think it's going to be kind of weird to just think about all of the uh possible transmission happening here and and like I would be interested and worried about it if I were an athlete too
1: but to me the big thing is that it just seems like it doesn't ever feel like the UFC was asking itself the question of is it safe the question was can we do it? Like, well, are there, is there a place where the regulations will allow us to do it somewhere in the United States where we we're just physically, we can pull it off and sell these tickets and get everybody in there and sell these tickets. Sometimes at a big increase to what they normally are and get back to making that live gate money. And that was the only question. It wasn't like the UFC went to a team of epidemiologists and was like, is it time now? And, and got the green light. Like that's, that's to me, the, the, the one question we were, we're asking is how and not if.
0: Right. Which is, I mean, that's the question they've asked since the beginning of the pandemic, right? True. I mean, they, they never really were concerned with anything else. Uh, what about your individual hype level here for a rematch between Kamaro Usman and, and Jorge Masvidal? These guys fought pretty recently. UFC 251, less than a year ago. Uh, clearly... Kamaru Usman emerged with the unanimous decision victory. George Masvidal came into that one on pretty short notice. And so I think if, if you are a Masvidal fan, if you're trying to tell yourself what's going to be different about this one, at least you get your guy on a full training camp. For Kamaru Usman, this strikes me again as another one of those matchups where he's like, well, I want to make a lot of money. I've already defeated a lot of the top contenders. My guess is that I can beat Jorge Masvidal fairly easily again. Might as well run it back for lack of a better option. I'm not sure that, that any of that like uh, cooks up into a, into a tasty morsel for fans. Like I don't know if I'm telling myself I'm particularly hyped about this main event. What about you?
1: Yeah, my, my hype level is pretty low, mostly because I think that it'll largely be the same fight. I, I, I mean, there's something to be said for having a full training camp to go in there and do it on. But also, I feel like Kamaru Usman is better now than he was even just back then. And I I just think that he wins this fight, and uh, that Masvidal's chance is to catch him with something big at some point. And uh, outside of that, just skill for skill wise, like I don't think Masvidal has a whole lot that he can threaten Kamaru Usman with. The one that I'm hyped for on this is uh, Zhang Wei Li and Thug Rose. That's the yeah. one. That's you look at the three title fights here, and two of them seem like they're not going to be terribly competitive. I mean. Just Gondra's a tough fighter, small for that weight class, and Valentina Shevchenko is just on top of her shit right now. And it's hard for me to see how Gondra wins that. But then, they you know, the women's strawweight fight feels like it's going to be the most competitive. It's been a while since we got a chance to see Zhang do it in there. Kind of missed having her around, what she brings to the cage. And then also, you know, Rose is always a fun fighter too. So stylistically, that one seems like it's going to be a whole hell of a lot of fun to watch. And like the the toughest one of the three to call.
0: Yeah, I agree. And so far, uh, Wiley Zhang, aside from the, the squeaker that she had against uh, um, Ioannia Jacek in her last time out, has been pretty dominating at that weight. Rose is a person that we know is also the former champion, like her only loss in, in recent times is that somewhat flukish slam knockout by Jessica Andrade. She's got great skills on the ground. She's a a, a very good striker. Um, it will be interesting to see if, if her all around MMA game gives her the edge in any areas against a a person that we have not seen, you know, challenged a ton over her UFC career. I said, again, with the exception of that, um, Jajic fight that that just happened. But yeah, that's, I agree with you. That's probably the one I'm most interested in. A little bit of a shame that most of the hype leading up to it is some cold war era propaganda style stuff. Uh, which I don't think necessarily helps the fight, and I, I I don't know that we got too many positives out of it at all. But uh, hopefully, we will still be able to actual enjoy the physical confrontation that we see in the cage between a couple of people that I think have the the potential, at least, to complement each other fairly nicely once the fight actually starts. Yeah. Obviously, you said uh, it's 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 tough to build hype these days around a Valentina Shevchenko. Uh, women's flyweight fight, Jessica Andrade, of course, very hard-nosed, very uh, tough and talented fighter. Has just one fight at this weight, though, her TKO victory over uh, Caitlin Chukeyan back in October. And so uh, again, like Valentina Shevchenko has been so good, it's it's hard to imagine any other outcome. Uh, when you think about her at a fight at this weight class, but any notion at all to you that. Uh, Andraj can do anything to to upset the balance of power there. Not, I mean, it's hard for me to picture because it seemed like at straw weight she
1: was still maybe a little bit short and stocky, but powerful, you know, and she was bringing a whole lot of strength and stuff to the table. And I don't know if that translates as well against somebody like Valentina Shevchenko, who is a little bit bigger. And, uh, just such a good all around athlete and who can do so many different things. I just, I don't see where you really manage to attack her and, and put her on the defensive. And, uh, I mean, everybody can be beaten. I just don't know if I can imagine the scenario in which Andraj goes out there and beats Valentina Shevchenko. Like, it's just my brain rebels trying to conjure up the scenario.
0: I agree with you. Uh, wh- what's going on with Uriah Hall versus Chris Weidman? A couple of uh, guys, both 36 years old. You know, Weidman, the former champion, everybody knows, uh, just got a much-needed win over Omari Akhmedov in, in August of last year. Prior to that, he was just one and five in his last six fights. Uh, you know, Uriah Hall is a guy who's been somewhat uh, enigmatic throughout his UFC career right now. He's riding a three fight win streak, of course, capped by that TKO of Anderson Silva. Also in October of, of 2020, this seems like a a kind of a strange matchup to me, I guess like maybe a somewhat even matchup between a couple of guys, approximately the same age, but you like, given what we're used to seeing from the UFC, once you get an aging champion, like, like Chris Weidman, and it seems like they want to, you know, try to use guys who are in that position, To advance the the careers of their younger fighters, like Uriah Hall, I don't necessarily know fits that profile. So this is an interesting, like even piece of matchmaking, seemingly to me from the UFC.
1: Well, we've been trying to do this one for a while, right? Because they fought so early on in their careers, like in the local scene, like like, a Ring of Combat event in Atlantic City, like ten years ago, and then they both end up in the UFC after that, and. Uh, you know Chris Weidman won that first one and Uriah Hall has wanted to get that one back and so it seems like like it's been on the radar here and there for a while and you know it doesn't seem like it has a whole bunch of immediate stakes for the division right now but it does seem like okay these guys have a little bit of a history throw them back in there let's, let's we found out who was good in 2010 let's see who's who's better in 2000 or 2021
0: then, of course, rounding out the main card, you have a uh, some matchmaking that feels like it does perhaps fall into that uh, criteria because 25-year-old Jimmy Crute, who's now distanced himself from a loss to Misha Sirkinov with two straight wins, going to go out there in a light heavyweight fight against Anthony Smith, uh, who had been one and three in his last four, but then got off the schneid a bit with his with that get-back fight against Devin Clark, uh, which was kind of thrown together in the main event of a UFC uh apex card back in november uh this seems like one if you're the ufc where you'd like to see the 25 year old youngster take another step
1: yeah probably uh and honestly i I could see how that's probably the most likely scenario here although there's a part of me that would really like to see anthony smith go out there and get a win
0: everybody wants to see good things happen to anthony smith like a good dude maybe you guys could talk about your uh Breaking and entering stories at <laughs>
1: home. His is a lot more dramatic than mine, especially since he was actually home for his.
0: Yeah, let's catch a beat there, but at least you guys have that in common now.
1: Uh, yeah, okay, I'm sure we'll form a lifelong friendship based on that.
0: Ask him where you might start looking for that dope.
1: <laughs> You're about the street life, I should ask you. Where would Chad sock, Dundas hide the dope?
0: Sock full of dope stuffed in a uh, heating it's vent, probably. Sock, I just don't know who does that, man. Sock, sock full of dope. All right, that's going to do it for this week's Co-Main Event podcast. Remember, if you have questions, comments, concerns you want to air to us for future shows, you know how to do it. You go to the website, CoMainEvent.com. Click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. You can always also, all the time, check us out over at Event or patreon.com slash event. Fun stuff happening all week. Three different tiers of patronage you can choose from. And of course, this week, the fight party on Saturday night. You got to sign up early, get your registration email going. So if you're interested in that, head over there today and sign up. Uh, we'll be back. We'll be back over there all week for the live chat on Wednesday. Movie club on Thursday. It looks like we're going to be watching Argo as part of uh, Spy Movie Month.
1: It's a bummer. Okay, a lot, I just keep a lot trying of to tell shaking people. Shaking their heads. Bri- bridge of Spies of is, a, is a good film. You should watch it.
0: Yeah. Well, um, Argo prevails in the in the vote. So that's what we're going to be going on for Spy Movie Month, and of course for Friday. Come event podcast patreon power hour the most powerful week most powerful hour of the week in mma so check us out for that and of course one week from today we're back with the proper thanks for listening as for right now we are done we are through we are out i'll just tell you this
1: right now man you better hope i don't find that dope before the watch party
0: <laughs> i know man well we're gonna be watching all of a sudden you start rolling up your sleeve tying off holding a spoon over a lighter. We're going to start figuring out you're your on some whole other shit these
1: days. If, it, if you realize at some point during the fight party that I am no longer watching the UFC I'm just sitting there listening to Lou Reed, <laughs> you'll know I found that fuck.